Today's scripture will be coming from three places. Luke 6, 12, 16, and then I'll read the following as I get there. 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And also from Luke 8, 1 to 3. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were hoping to support them out of their own means. And then now, turn to 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Good morning. The title of my sermon today is Talents and Assets, and that is exactly what sports teams are looking for when draft day comes around. Um, every April, the NFL, uh, professional football league we have here, holds and even televises their draft day. Uh, in June, the NBA, our professional sports league, does the same thing. Um, college and international players, um, in the past sometimes high school players even, have been selected by teams based upon physical, mental stature, uh, game statistics, their skills, talents, have all been evaluated, viewed, discussed by team scouts, by managers, owners, and they're determining what's the best fit for our team, who's, the, who's got the best assets. Then there's combine days that would have happened even prior to that. Those are testing days where the players go and basically are tested. Um, height, weight, agility, speed, strength, flexibility, mental acuity, all of those are assessed, they're measured, and sometimes just verified, you know, height and weight, just verify what those would be. And then prior to the draft day, you see and you read and you can listen to all of the sports talk people provide their expertise on which players should be drafted and why. Um, you can even go online and bet as to which player is going to be drafted by certain teams. I mean, it's just a, a large public display of talent, tons of analyzation. 
tons of opinions. And so we see physical abilities, um, mental abilities. All of those things, they, they get evaluated in that scenario, sometimes misevaluated, sometimes mis misread. Uh, there have been players who have been drafted first in the entire process that, for whatever reason, end up playing two or three years and then they're done. Something was misread. Uh, there are also players that have been, had their name given as a selection and then there's many fans that actually go to these days and watch in the arena, in the room. And every once in a while, somebody's name will be given as a selection and you'll hear boos. Partly because people look at that name and they don't recognize the name, they don't know the name. It's somebody who's not very tall, not very big. And like, yeah, I don't like that selection. There's one player in particular I wanted to refer to. Um, back in 2009, in the NBA, a guard was drafted. Name was uh, given, and booze rained down. He went to a school of just 2,000, real small school. And he was only 6'2". I'm 6'2", but that's short in the NBA. And so the booze come down because how in the world is this small, diminutive player from Davidson College going to help the Golden State Warriors in any way? Well, 13 seasons later and still playing, Steph Curry is considered by many to be the best shooting guard in NBA history for NBA titles. So all of those different talents, skills that we see, well, the, the question I've got for us is what does God look for? Those are all draft days, and those are all things that we envision as a world. But if God were holding a draft day, what would he be looking for from individuals to be on his team? What talents, what assets is he looking for? Who does, and from what Corey read, who did God and Jesus draft for his team? Um, yeah, so when, when, the, when our world begins to select a team, and not, not just from a sports team, but drafting participants, drafting, drafting workers, uh, even being willing to listen to and heed the words of somebody giving their opinion on paper, on the radio, on TV, what do we value? And I came up with seven categories that I think we, as a culture and as a world, tend to look at sometimes for consideration to evaluate who do I value? So the first one uh, would be wealth. And wealth can be utilized for helping many people. Wealth can allow your voice to be heard from public platforms. We do streaming. That required some wealth and some, some changes. There's many churches that the word gets out because of what you have financially. Wealth carries influence with it in our world. You can do things. Second one, education. Uh, formal education has been valued for many years, but so has hands-on experience. What do you know? What education do you have? Do you have a PhD? I mean, 
do you have an MDiv? What, you know, those are questions that are valid things of learning. Um, if someone is believed to be knowledgeable about any topic, we might invite them for a seminar or to speak to our group. Um, that, that's just what we do. And that's a good thing that is part of what we do. Uh, third, what's your occupation? I mean, that's a very common assumption, a common question that we have. We meet somebody. Well, where do you live? What do you do? What's your work? Uh, and, and every time we ask that, there are assumptions and expectations that differ depending on what that occupation might be. Um, if I say, yeah, I, I taught math for 33 years, you make an assumption on what that 33 years was and my expertise in teaching math. Now, if you would come to me and talk about, you know, welding something on your truck, I'm not the guy. But your occupation gives some idea of what talents and skills you have. Fourth would be an income. And an and income is not specifically wealth, but income would be looking kind of what, what might be available in the future. What's your long-standing ability to maintain stability for your family, food, housing, um, whatever that may be. Fifth would, would be your gender, male, female. Um, it, that comes into play as how you might be perceived in different regions and different areas. Um, our world seems to be obsessed with this, whether you're a male, female, or you know, with the spectrum anywhere in between anymore, um, in some churches, women in leadership is still a point of discussion. So, I mean, that's part of what is recognized as valued, devalued, whatever that may be in some kind of spectrum. Sixth would be an appearance. Now, I've got a you know, dress slacks, dress shirt. Uh, would you respond to me differently if I were in a suit and tie? Or if I just got done changing my oil and I come with oil up and down my sleeves and ripped jeans, that's what I wear when I do that. Are you going to respond differently to somebody's appearance? And, and appearance is something that we see. We recognize that. Um, we recognize if somebody is dressed nicely. We recognize if somebody's dressed shabbily. Um, I mean, there is a recognition. It may not be a scenario where we criticize, but we recognize some of that. That's an appearance that is right there. And seventh one, age. As we grow older, hopefully we do gain experience and we mature. Life experiences mold who we are, what we know, what insight we might have. And even in the Bible, we're encouraged. Timothy was encouraged as a younger individual, speak up. Now, keep in mind, even as we do that, if we speak, if we want our younger generation to speak up, and we're also saying we're looking at elderly to be wise, even in making those statements, we are recognizing age is something to be considered as we value and consider assets and talents. So within those seven categories, wealth, education, occupation, income, gender, appearance, your age,
Where does God want you to fall within those? And if you happen to think of other categories than those seven, that's fine. Where does God want us to fall within those spectrum? And my answer to that is I don't think God cares. They all fit. God doesn't care about our worldly evaluations and man-made ratings. Wherever you fit, God's ready to draft you for his team and use you for his glory. Not, not our own, for his glory. We just need to be willing to be drafted, willing to be used. Um, Corey read the uh, passage in Luke with the 12 disciples, or the, yeah, 12 apostles being named and women within that group being named. And when we envision Jesus walking through Galilee with his 12 disciples, I have to admit, I envision 13 men, Jesus being the leader of that, walking through Galilee. That's, that's Jesus and his disciples. Now the word disciple means follower, learner. But I also want you to notice that there's reference here to being an apostle. And an apostle is a little bit more. Uh, an apostle refers specifically more to one who is sent out, not just follows, but is sent out more intentionally. And if we read 13, verse 13, it says, When morning came, he called his disciples to him. And his disciples being drawn to him, this would have been a group larger than 12. Uh, if you go to Luke 6, 17, that reads, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. So there's two separate groups that are referred to in that verse. A large group of his disciples. Doesn't say just 12. A large group of his disciples. People that were following. People that were devoted and then a great number of people from all over Judea. Others that might just be interested coming to hear. But then of those, that large group, he chose 12 of them. Whom he also designated apostles. So of those 12, what are the characteristics? What about the others? What about those that are beyond the twelve? What are the characteristics of those individuals who are still referred to as disciples and followers? What were their talents? What were their assets? Acts 4.13 gives us a bit of an assumption that is sometimes uh, used. Uh, Acts 14, or 4.13 reads this way. When the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Unschooled and ordinary. That, that's how they were referred to. And so many times we think of, well, they're unschooled, they're ordinary, they're poor, they're desolate. Well, not necessarily. Um, we know that many were fishermen. Simple, hardworking men. Men who would have been in the synagogue. They would have grown up. In that culture, uh, they would have been listening, they would have been learning, not necessarily formally educated, but they would know the history, they would know the story of God, of Moses. 
They would have had life experience. They would have been working long hours. But they would have had some knowledge of what God was about. Uh, Matthew was in that mix. Matthew was a tax collector. So he had some money. Now, definitely gained in an unsavory process and a profession. But, okay, so I, I taught math for 33 years. I don't know accounting, but I'm hoping my accountant knows things about numbers. And so if Matthew was a tax collector, he needed to have some kind of acuity with numbers, being able to keep track of records and what to collect, how to collect it, where to collect it. Um, one resource I read actually mentioned Matthew because of his location may have needed to be multilingual. More ability to gain additional money in different ways. Simon the Zealot was a revolutionary. And whether that word zealot refers to him being revolutionary, hoping for the violent overthrow of Rome, or was a zealot in his study of Mosaic law, there was a passion. Uh, you don't get called and part of being a zealot by being lazy. The women mentioned in chapter 8, Mary Magdalene, devoted follower of Jesus, referred to a number of times. Joanna uh, is referred to here, and her connection, her husband would have been a financial business leader and manager in the king's household. There would have been, again, some knowledge, some connection to some business information. And what about some of the other disciples? Not just the 12. Luke, referred to in Colossians 4.14 as a doctor. And then he wrote one of the books of the life of Jesus Christ. Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin from Luke 2350, he would have been well-educated to be part of that group and providing the tomb for Jesus' body would have had some kind of money and wealth available to him. Women were mentioned as house, house leaders in the churches. Uh, Lydia in Acts 16, Chloe in 1 Corinthians 1, Nympha in Colossians 4, other disciples and men that Paul identified as servants in Colossians 4, uh, Tychicus, Epaphras, Onesimus. So a, a variety of characters, a variety of talents, a variety of skills. Mostly common, unassuming talents and skills. If they're evaluated by man-made systems and draftability but all of these individuals had one common thing when Jesus said follow me they did so actually I want to go through a bit of 1 Corinthians 1 passage that Corey read in kind of three three phases first part uh, just verse 26 where it says brothers and sisters think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Not many. What does that mean? Well, in my view, it means some. It means a few. So 
a few of you were wise by human standards, and that it means not, it doesn't mean none of you were wise, but a few of you were wise by human standards. A few of you were influential by human standards. A few of you were of noble birth by human standards. So I, I don't see this as saying the disciples were all poor and uneducated. There's some wisdom that by even our world standards that there was. So here's, here's what I see in that. There's no one excused to be undraftable by God. Every one of us are draftable. The talents and assets by human standards are not important, are not vital. If you have them, great, awesome. If you don't have them, great, awesome. Jessica just gave an invitation. I love the way she said it. If you have a passion or a skill, we can use it. And then her very next sentence said, even if you don't have the skill, we can use it. God's calling is not based upon human standards anyway. Uh, the next three verses, 27 through 29. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not, the things that are not despised, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. If we go back to the Old Testament, uh, 1 Samuel 16, as Jesse's sons were passing by Samuel, Samuel kept saying, no, not that one. No, not that one. And verse 7 of that chapter says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And if we then come to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, just the first part of this, God spoke directly to Paul. And this will be a process. You know, if, if God's looking somewhere else than the outward appearance, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And this was when Paul was commenting on his own fallibility, things that he didn't do well or didn't do perfectly. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I, I want you to read this with me and say this with me. And when we get to where it says, my grace, grace is sufficient for you, I want you to put your name, first name and last name, as a promise and a claim, this is God speaking to you. This is God speaking to Doug Gerber. So we're going to read this through twice. And again, I want you to read this with me, and I want to put your name in that slot for you. My name, or, <laughs> I'm sorry. My grace is sufficient for Doug Gerber, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I want you to read that a second time with me, again, putting your name in there. My grace is sufficient for Doug Gerber, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength is made perfect 
in our weakness. We can be foolish, and that's what the verses in 27 through 29 refer to. We can be foolish, but I'm hoping we can also be wise. We can be weak, and I'm hoping there are times that we can be strong. We can feel that we don't measure up. We can feel despised at times. And God's saying to all of that, I care, but I don't really care. I've still called you. I've still called you because it's not on your strength. My strength is made perfect. Then the last two verses, 30 and 31. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for our wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so with all of this, I hear God saying to us, I will supply you with power. I will supply you with peace and joy. I will supply the words and the insight that you need for all the interactions that you might be fearful of having. I will supply you with the energy and the stamina. I will supply you with wisdom. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on me. Rely on the Lord your God. Now, just a little bit ago, I, I had you read with me the, you know, 12.9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I want to finish 9 and, and read into uh, verse 10 as well. So here's how that finishes. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Making a commitment to follow Christ does not mean that everything is easy. There will be insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. But when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, when, when I feel strong and capable, I can too easily decide I'm going to take the next steps and they are all my own. They are what I decide on my strength. I'm relying on my wisdom, my insight, my knowledge, my learning. But when I'm weak and tired, that's when I am so much more willing to put all those things aside that are mine and let God lead. Now, of those two scenarios, which one ends up working best? Not when I claim my leading, when God's leading. Now, I, I ran across a list that identified four ingredients that enable God to use us best. And these four ingredients are, are, are things that you can look at and say, yep, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. And on your own strength, Okay, that's a good attempt, that's a good claim, but all four of these are still ingredients that are coming from God. So let me give you these four. Number one is courage. 
Psalm 3, chapter, or, uh, verse 3 and 4. David writes, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Courage. Courage and trust in God's power to lead, to direct, to protect, and strengthen. Rely on God to provide that and that promise that he is going to be with you. Do I have courage to step out? Second is a willingness. In uh, Acts 16, verses 9 and 10, this is about Paul. It says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. When Paul heard and saw this vision, he responded willingly and quickly. He went. Third is teachability. Um, Acts 17, 11 and 12 referred to a, a group here. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. It takes time to read, to share, to discuss, to discern, and then to learn. I mean, that, that's the idea of teachability. Can I learn? Am I willing to let God teach me what his will is in my life? And the fourth would be a deep sense of purpose, a desire to do God's will. 1 Peter 4.9 says this statement, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. There is a purpose for what we as a church, for what you as an individual within that congregation, within that church, within that faith are called to. We're called to his purpose, not our purpose, his purpose, to declare his wonder and glory. And with the disciples and, and the apostles, we see all four of these as they spread the word of God. They spread the gospel following Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension. They had courage. They went out, sometimes endangering themselves. They spoke the word, sometimes ending up in imprisonment or martyrdom. But they went out. They were willing to do what was needed to grow the kingdom of God. They had been teachable while Jesus was on earth. They listened. And now with the Holy Spirit, they continued to be teachable, to listen, to hear. And they accepted with full sense of commitment and purpose that statement, go ye into all the world. They were apostles, and they accepted the call of Jesus to follow him. 
And all those ingredients are strongest when we are weak and we rely upon God to lead. So who does God call for ministry? Everyone. Everyone is a minister. Doesn't matter if this world would draft you. You could be six foot six, you could be five foot two. You could have a portfolio of a million dollars or ten million dollars or no portfolio at all. You can cheer for Michigan, Notre Dame, Indiana, Purdue, even Ohio State. Doesn't matter. You can be old, you can be young. You can be a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, a child. God's looking to draft you for his team. In in closing, I want to share a story of a calling that was received. It was very much unexpected and a bit unconventional. Um, This past week, um, at Leanne's memorial service, I was talking with uh, Lori Reinhardt. Would be Dwayne's wife. Dwayne would have been a brother to Leanne. And uh, I had, I think I had almost all of the Reinhardt kids in class somewhere along in in the past. And so Lori would just ask me, so how did you get you know finished with teaching and all of a sudden you're you're the pastor? And so I told her, and she said, you need to talk to Dwayne. So here's a bit of Dwayne's story. And I asked him if I could share it today. And he, he said, yeah. So a number of years ago, Dwayne was sitting in their church service. And kind of out of the blue, all of a sudden he felt God saying, Dwayne, I want you to go to Mississippi to serve me. There was no good earthly reason, no advance warning or a thought about Okay, what's in Mississippi for me? But Dwayne shared that with Lori, and they, they discussed it real quickly, and pretty shortly, Dwayne headed south. Still not quite sure of how he was going to be called to serve, not exactly where. Found a place to settle in Mississippi for a few, few days, but again, still not exactly sure what, why am I here? And he said, Doug, it was midweek when I was down there after about three or four days. So I was sitting in my car. He said, I remember just looking out the window and saying, God, why am I here? What do you want? And God's timing is so perfect. That night, Dwayne got a call from a friend that he knew down there in Mississippi who had heard that the church that Dwayne had connected with during VS needed and was in search of a pastor. And so Dwayne made the call to the church. Okay. Dwayne didn't go to seminary. So conversations, discernments occurred. And with three, within three months, um, Dwayne began his ministry as a pastor and was there for eight years. A courage and a trust and a power and a voice that's beyond our own, a willingness to follow, teachability to learn and be led by God. I guarantee you, Dwayne learned an awful lot during those years.
but a deep sense of purpose and commitment that goes beyond ourselves and our own understanding. John Wesley has a quote about ministry. He said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. If you are a layman, John Wesley just called you a preacher. Give me 100 preachers and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. But if they fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up heaven upon earth. So are you willing to be drafted by God to be put on his team? It's not because of your talents and assets. It's because of his. One of the frequent questions that, that I you know, ask people, and, and if you've been on gifts discernment, you're, you're asking you know, for people to volunteer for different things. And the question that you, know, you, you ask is, are you willing and able to do whatever? And I think that question is just a little bit incorrect. Not completely, but in a little bit. Are you willing? Because God will make you able. Whether you're skilled or unskilled, God will make you able. 